Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Father Robert Spitzer, whom most of you know from his many books and tapes and, of course, his EWTN longtime show, Spitzer's Universe. And Father, welcome to our program. Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Rick. Father, if you would be so kind as to open us with a brief word of prayer, I think we would all be appreciative. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this good ministry and um, our ability uh, to make a difference in people's lives through it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down into the hearts of our audience and into our hearts, uh, Rick and myself and Jim, and ask that through uh, that Spirit you might inspire us and protect us and guide us so that everything we do will be brought to fruition in your will, for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we have had Father Spitzer on in the past. It's been a little while since oh, yeah. we've had you on. But we'll often bring on Father Spitzer to talk about a concept or a theological issue that we're struggling with, because... Frankly, Father Spitzer has it all down. Oh, yeah, well, I don't know Pretty much. <laughs> I, I, I know that your education is absolutely fantastic. You've, mm. you've got three formal master's degrees, a PhD, and you were a professor and a president of a university. Mm. I think theologically, you know your stuff. Oh, okay. And so it's always been good to have you here to talk about those types of things. But it struck me a while back, and I don't remember which program I was watching, but you were talking about someone, and someone asked you a question about suffering. Yeah. And I'm looking at this man who's talking to the television screen that I know he can't see. <laughs> and for our listening audience, if you don't know Father Spitzer, he's blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a degenerative eye disease. What was it called? Macro uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Retinitis pigmentosa, yeah. which gradually took away your sight. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, you could see partially and now totally gone. Yeah. We also know that you've had some other cardiac type issues that have come in are still mm-hmm. there that we need to be aware of. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get a and so annual check up there. <laughs> it struck me as you were going mm-hmm. through all this, you've had a, a fantastic life with the privileges of being a man of God. And I say mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. with with a, a great deal of, of, of qualification, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it is a real privilege that you've had to be able oh, to yeah. encounter God the way you have, yeah. and yet you've made so much out of it. Uh, 13 books in the last 20 years or so. Yeah. And that doesn't count the five major organizations you've started yeah. and still involved deeply with all of them and yeah. the Magis Center. And, sure. and then, of course, the program you do every week on EWTN and the mm-hmm. studio right around the corner from us. Here. That's right. That's right. No, I, I have had a wonderful life. And as I said, things started off easy for me. I, uh, well, let's talk uh, about that. How did, uh, how did your walk with God really start? Well, my mother, more than anybody else, because she was a daily communicant. Uh, my dad was a religious man. Uh, his father was Jewish, and uh, he was Lutheran. And 
He um, uh, basically uh, was a very practicing, good uh, religious man. But um, my mother was the influence, and she, you know, made sure that we were belonged to the altar boys and things of that nature. And I loved it. I loved hanging around the church and our priests. I uh, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I went to Punahou School. Punahou sounds Hawaiian because yeah, I was I was born in Hawaii back and, before it was a state I understand that's right I was born in fifty two and so um, right across the street uh, from Punahou was Sacred Heart okay. Catholic Church so I could zoom to, over do mass um, and serve mass at, in the morning and zoom across the street and uh, be uh, in class uh, uh, in time um, when uh, Punahou started so I, I loved it I I absolutely. Uh, was riveted by God, I think, from uh, the earliest age. Uh, I can remember I always liked learning theological things. I even liked catechism class, believe it or not. Oh, and so uh, I he did. He stole my, my beating heart <laughs> as, as, a, as, a, as a catechist. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's right. So I, I really had a very, and, you know, my family was very secure in every way. My education was superlative in every way. I things came easy for me educationally. I had lots of friends, and you know, I started reflecting in college. You know, well, where uh, did you go to college? I went to Gonzaga University. My mom, right. of course, wanted us to go to a Catholic college, and uh, got you to the continent and the Pacific Northwest. That's right. And I went. I visited a whole bunch of schools when I was a junior in high school, and um, uh, when I hit Gonzaga, I loved it. And later on became president of it. <laughs> and, of course, who knew? But, uh, in fact, I surely did not. Uh, in fact, I thought, uh, you know, uh, I'm just the old uh, humdrum student going through there uh, uh, trying to make uh, some sense out of things. Well, and but, you, you weren't originally a philosophy major at the beginning. No, I was. Uh, I liked uh, basically business. Um, and I took uh, accounting and finance. And, of course, I loved uh, math, uh, too. Uh, which I love to uh, add into the formula, and um, so um, had a great time uh, zooming through. I, so your first uh, bachelor's degree was in business, public accounting and finance. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So. Was your plan at that point to become a priest? No, no, no. I, I was to join, to take over my dad's law firm. So um, I was planning on on going to law school, and I had applied to several law schools. While I was um, also applying to the Jesuits, but that... Uh, well, let's back up a minute, because you don't apply yeah. to the Jesuits without having a firm purpose. Oh, yeah. No, and, I... And you're really... telling me you weren't yet thinking about being a priest yet. When I what got, got to you college. Thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, uh, a whole series of things. I I had, um, you know, come in contact with, uh, you know, I was looking for evidence for God from day one, you know, I... I got introduced to a lot of existentialist ideas when I was in high school. I never stopped going to church at all. I was uh, always convinced of that, uh, thanks to the influence of my mother. But, you know, I was really looking for evidence for God. And one day somebody said, you know, hey, uh, take a look at these uh, new singularity theorems by Hawking and, and Penrose. Well, the math was way too high for me at that point. I was just a mere calculus student. And, uh, a mere kind of no, no, I really was, yeah. and I <laughs> this math was much higher. But I could understand the concepts of space-time curvature, you know, winding up at a single point sometime in the finite past, with general uh, relativistic considerations proceeding back to what's called a singularity. So I, 
I thought, well, gosh, you know, that's pretty good proof. So, that, so I want to pause for just a moment for those yeah. of us who are having to translate a little bit. So your theories you were at that point thinking about in late college had to do with backing up into a single point in time and space. Yeah, that's okay, pretty much. I, uh, I got there. Yeah, I was okay. thinking about that for sure. And so that, that you, was you were always then a theist. You, you had a, oh, yeah. a worldview, a cosmology that included a god. Oh, and I was also, I still believed in a personal God. I just bifurcated myself. I just thought, I'm not going to stop going to church. But in the meantime, I've got all this stuff bracketed. i got to look for some evidence here and back it up. Because if you, eventually, if I don't get some evidence, this is going to become problematic. But luckily, So God, there really was a part of you at that point that was... Yeah. Asking the what if questions. You weren't doubting yeah. yet, but yeah. there were still the what if questions. Oh, yeah. And that God, was, if you can't prove yourself, I'm going to yeah. have a problem with uh, you. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was like <laughs> the second coming with Walker Percy, right? Oh, wow. So I really did. Uh, I did have a, uh, you know, I was wondering. and But like I said, God kept sending these people in my life, you know, here, look at these singularity theorems. So, oh, you know, this is really interesting. <laughs> and then one day, honestly, I was passing by the cl- a classroom. And I heard this guy going, well, proofs for the existence of God. You know, you know, I stopped right there. And I thought, proof. So I zoomed right into the classroom, went to the back of the class there. And, and this fellow is talking about it in a fine foreign accent, you know. But anyway, the long and short of it is I'm listening to this guy. And I thought, yeah, wow, I wonder if he can really do this. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, I don't think you can prove the existence of God. I said, oh, yes, I can. I said, well, uh, go ahead and try it. I'd, I'd like to critique it if I could. And he goes, I know very well you're not in this class. You know, I was shocked because I thought I'd kind of gotten away with yeah. sneaking in the back. I said, well, yeah, that's right. And he goes, just come to the class, sign up for it like a regular student, and I'll prove the existence of God. So I did, and he did. and That's, that's got, quite a guarantee you got for the professor there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I have to say. Guaranteed returns. Well, guaranteed returns. <laughs> I was a motivated student, so I wanted to learn every detail. In well, that that's gold for the proof. teacher, too, that, as you know. That's right. Oh, yes. No, I was very, very uh, adamant about that. And then finally, you know, having learned all of that, I wind up going to daily mass on a— Well, let me pause you for a moment. Yeah. Let's find out how this ended up. There are lots of people who use different methods for trying to prove God. Some are more effective than others. Mm-hmm. Did he make good? Oh, yeah, he made good. Yeah, he, he definitely did. In fact, you know, the proof was a metaphysical proof of God. And uh, I had to learn a whole bunch of new terminology because it's very different from scientific terminology. Sure. But um, not, uh, you know, an unpassable barrier by any stretch of the imagination. Once you kind of get the notion of being through itself is basically the concept, you know, something that is being through itself. If you kind of get a sense of what that is without it being a causa sui, a cause of itself, which, of course, is a contradiction, because that would imply that it have to, it have to exist, exist before, before it existed sure. in order to make itself exist, which, of course, is a contradiction, can't but, work. But you're still trying mm-hmm. to deal with the, the physical world, which, which is generally looked at as from a secular perspective mm-hmm. and a metaphysical world. Mm-hmm. And you were able to see the overlap oh, pretty clearly. No question about that. And I could see it because of the singularity equations. I could see, you know, that there has to be. So a, from a purely a, scientific perspective, yeah. the metaphysics made sense, too. Yeah, yeah. The supernatural yeah. makes sense in the scientific. That's right. And so it was a, a terrific kind of moment for me. Um, wow. uh, shortly thereafter, I was zooming by uh, 
a fellow friend of mine, you know, Bert Martinez was his name. And he said, hey, Spencer, what are you going to do for Lent? And I said, oh, you know, I'm going to give up meat or something. And he goes, well, not me. I'm going to go to Mass every day. So I thought, something Mart- positive is yeah. something negative. <laughs> That's right. So I thought, well, Martinez can go to Mass every day. I'll give that a shot. You know, my faith in God was really increasing. My yeah. mom was a daily communicant. So I started going to Mass every day. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to give this up after Lent. But when Lent was over, I was hooked. Wow. I loved the homilies. I loved the Mass. I loved receiving Holy Communion. I loved the community. And I thought, I'm going to keep on going. And I just kept right on. I've never stopped since the day I started with good old Bert Martinez. And I'll tell you, I mean, I mean, I, I was being transformed um, as I was going to that Mass. And people would say, Spitzer, you're, you're really changing. And I'd say, no, I'm still the same utilitarian, hard-headed rat I always <laughs> used to be. And they go, well, you are a utilitarian, hard-headed rat, but nevertheless, <laughs> you're less so than you used to be. And I'd say, really? And they go, absolutely. So This is, um, this is something that I've seen... And I've heard talked about it quite a bit. Yeah. People that will start with a, with a faith mm-hmm. are not perfected until they put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And it's that follow through yeah, that the God follow. then begins to work on. It's, That's right. We, we, the, the idea of, of faith alone is a great, great starting point. Mm-hmm. Love all our, uh, all of our separated brothers and sisters who have faith mm-hmm. alone. That's a great starting point. But it's like driving up the auto ramp to a freeway that's stopping. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that follow through that uh, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And what you're telling me is... In a very clear way, mm-hmm. that you had this wonderful starting point. Yeah, my starting point was faith and reason. Began to follow it through. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to take a break here for yeah. just a moment, and when we come back, Father, because it sounds like you've started off, and in a way, you start off in a very privileged set. That's a loaded mm-hmm. term these days, but that mm-hmm. it's in a way you had no major tragedies, from what I'm hearing. No, not at all. And that you are now kind of set up, locked and loaded yeah. to, to launch into some sort of a ministerial career, and the Jesuits are going to come along. When That's we come right. back, I want to hear that part of the story and where that takes you to be prepared to talk to other people about faith. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Father Robert Spitzer, who is well-known for a number of different reasons. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of those. So be with us when we return. Here's a word of reflection from Christ's Cathedral Organist and host of Sounds from the Sanctuary, David Ball. In St. Louis, there used to be these sort of clubs for Eucharistic adoration. It was really people watching the church all night. Each person would take an hour with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. My parents, we we used to do this a couple times. And so I remember going to St. Gabriel, the Archangel in South St. Louis. It would be one in the morning and you'd knock on the door and the one person who was scheduled for that hour would come out, look through a little peephole, let you in. And then you'd lock yourself in the church for an hour of stillness and meditation and prayer and whatever. And as a kid, it was interesting. It just introduced the idea of stillness to me at a young age. For more, come find us at spiritfilledmedia.org. That's spiritfilledmedia.org. Spirit-Filled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. 
With me today is Father Robert Spitzer, who is the host for EWTN Spitzer's Universe and has been involved with a number of different organizations, some of which he's founded, but also EWTN. He has been past president of Gonzaga University and is honored for a number of different reasons. Today, we're talking with Father about his life and what has gone into the makeup of where he comes from. He's written multiple books. We're up to now a baker's dozen. Uh, <laughs> so you can break one and we're still good. Yeah. Uh, but we've... We've got a, a man who has also been acquainted with suffering, and we haven't talked a whole lot about that yet. We barely mentioned it, but uh, he's had for the last uh, 10 years or so, it's been longer than that, hasn't it? That oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Eye issues that have led to your blindness, mm -hmm. and then cardiac issues that have also been problematic, though... I've not heard you talk much about yeah. that. Now, the cardiac issues have really not manifested itself in any way in my life. I've just had to get a, a few stents to only a few stents to, to, to keep me keep, keep me going. alive. But once, once you know the stents are so easy to get, you you know I used to they, pop. They right. are a miracle these days. Oh yeah, yes. you get the stents, you stay in the hospital till the next day, and the. And boom, I can go back to work the following day. But they're still know? invasive, and they also say that there's yeah. an, there there are issues that are there. Yeah. If you've had more than one, that means that you've got oh, ongoing yeah. issues. That I, 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 do, I used to. I mean, right now, I haven't really had any uh, real difficulties <laughs> for good. Uh, a good 15 years or so. Uh, so it's, uh, it's... Well, let's come into that in just a moment. Okay. Let's go back. We were just talking about your college years and how your faith became so ingrained in this, the conversation between the physics of the world and the metaphysics mm -hmm. of the world and mm -hmm. how you saw those genuinely and thoroughly wedded together, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. In fact, I think it's one of the, the big ticket items for a lot of people. Can you demonstrate God to me? Mm -hmm. And that was not a problem for you. You were able to, to see it. You searched it out. It was a question for you, but you were able mm -hmm. to eventually solve that problem for you. Mm -hmm. What got you wanting to go into ministry and particularly to join the Jesuits? Well, we were just talking about going to Mass every day, and that was the first moment of practice. You know, and as you put it, you have to put your faith into practice. That's yeah. If you invest in God, he invests in you. You invest in the practice of prayer and the sacraments. He's going to invest in you by strengthening your faith. And that, Spoken like a business major, but really true, though. Oh, and yeah. listen, I, beats me why he called me. But he definitely <laughs> was calling me. And, and I had an experience. This girl came up to me once and just said, hey, uh, you want to teach a ninth grade CCD class? And I said, oh. I'm a numbers guy. I like math. I like business. Uh, she says, you go to Mass every day. I said, yes, I go to Mass every day. But, but you know, um, you know I, I really don't know the faith that well. I'm, I'm not your guy. And she goes, please, just teach at least one class. I said, ah, I'm just not a catechism class kind of guy. She goes, great, do nothing for anyone for the rest of your life. I said, oh, God. <laughs> so I said, all right. Two I'll, by four, right okay, across yeah. the head. <laughs> so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll teach a class. I'll teach a class. And she goes, well, what are you going to teach him? I said, well, I'm going to teach him about those singularity theorem, the theorems, you know, which kind of indicate uh, the existence of God from science. She goes, okay, you know. So uh, I went over there and I put uh, a little, you know, one of the singularity um, equations on the board, you know, and these kids are coming in look, looking at me like, 
Is this the catechism class? And of course, I wasn't a Jesuit at that time. No, I said, yes, yeah, this a, sit down, have a seat. You know, this catechism class, another customer, great. So, of course, these kids are looking at me, weirdest catechism teacher ever. You know, now, you're probably thinking, you know, what is this equation on the board? Well, I'll tell you, this means that all space-time lines are going to have to come, you know, in their curvature and sometime in the finite past to a single point which means there's going to have to be nothing physical prior to that time requiring a creator of the whole physical reality outside of physical reality, something being, some being that transcends physical reality. And these kids are going, well, you mean like God? I said, yeah, just like God. You're proving God? I said, yeah, I'm proving God. These kids, out come the tablets for the first time, I'm sure, right, yeah. in decades. So, of course... Uh, Having been a high school teacher, yeah. you hit them. Right. You took them seriously. Oh, they, they started... Kids taking, love authenticity. Oh, yeah. You're authentic. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, I started teaching this thing, and I and uh, as they were, you know, they were like, who's that guy, Friedman? Who's that? You know, so, of course, uh, <laughs> afterwards, uh, uh, one of these kids, he was the smallest kid in the class, he comes zooming up to me afterwards, and he's just looking right at me. And I had no intention of saying this or doing this. He says, are you going to be our catechism teacher for the rest of the semester? And these words escaped my lips. I said, yes, I will. And he goes, oh, oh great. Because I had no intention of, of anything of the kind. You know, I, um, so I, I had to go back and God tell this girl. God Yeah. Told the girl, well, looks like I'm your teacher for the rest of the semester. I went and promised the kids. So, uh, But then I discovered, you know, again, you start teaching the faith and you start learning it Best and you start seeing you have a gift to even convey it to them in a way that was relevant. So step by step, you know, God, then of course I got interested in theology and, uh, you know, started even getting interested in scripture. And prior to, you know, to this year, you, you, you know, there's just no way I would have been uh, doing a class in scripture. It just wouldn't have occurred to me, not because I didn't like it. I, just wouldn't have even thought of it. So I just said, well, you know, I'm going to take that class in the Gospel of John. So I zoomed in there and I took it on an audit basis because I had too many credits already, you know, had to, had to take some uh, audits. So anyway, I'm taking this class. And I'm thinking, gosh, I really like this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take that class in the love justice dialectic because, you know, I like the high end theology with the uh, <laughs> uh, abstract concepts. So I was, you know, having a great time and First of all, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, maybe maybe I, I should be a priest. My, my religion is becoming the most important thing in my life. Now what am I going to do, you know? This is uh, all still in college. This is in college. You know, I'm thinking, whoa, uh, I just didn't have any way out. So I, I, I told my mother I'm really seriously considering uh, being a priest. But I have to tell you, I, I really want to be married. And I was going to ask, did, did girls come into this? You haven't mentioned. Oh yeah, any? no, no. I there were. You're there a gentleman. Three, you're not going to. Yeah, no. There are three girls I, I liked very much okay. uh, in various uh, times. And anyway, um, so my mom. Uh, There's always a practical consideration. Uh, oh, I wanted age. to be married. I did, yeah. but I, I basically said. Uh, I told my mom, and my mom says, I've got the perfect solution. You can be a permanent deacon. Just make sure you're married before you get ordained a deacon. And I said, wow, that sounds like a really good idea. And I really planned on it. I said, that's a good solution. So I, I got it out of my mind. And so um, one day I'm coming out of St. Al's Church, and 
Um, you know, I caught out of the side of my eye, I caught this little booklet and about, you know, vocation to the priesthood. And it was just sitting there. So I thought, ah. Oh. And half of me said, do not look at that book. And the other half of me said, look at you that book. Must look at that book. Exactly. <laughs> you will. The angel that and the on my shoulders. So, of course, I finally said, I'm going to look at that book. So I started looking at it, and I read the whole book in the back of the church. And then I put that book down, and I said, I think i got to be a priest, not a deacon. So I, so I was really very, very... Uh, I felt the call. I really did. I, I I didn't know what I was feeling, but I, I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm back to square one again. So, um, you know, I was working for an accounting firm at the time. And so um, uh, the next day I was going to going to work. And this is the silliest story. Never make a discernment like this. Anyway, um, I'm walking to work and you kind of had to walk through an alleyway to get to the downtown area from Gonzaga. And I was working downtown. I was in my suit, you know, zooming down there. And boom, this rainstorm starts up. I mean, big time rainstorm. Like I felt like I was in a squall, you know, and uh, the water's pouring down. And I had to run like the Dickens to get underneath this kind of galvanized steel eave yeah. that was uh, hanging down there. So I was standing under the eave and the water was pouring over me like a waterfall. And it was really hitting that galvanized steel very loudly. And something inside of me just sort of said, all right, is this all about me being a priest? And I was saying this to God. <laughs> I said, if it is, make the rain stop right now. Oh, the fleece. Let it be wet or let it be dry. <laughs> and it stopped. Oh. And when it stopped, I thought, okay, I can't tell anybody this is why I'm thinking this. I'll talk to Father. I told, I told God. All right. I'll talk to Father O'Leary. That's a great story, though. Yeah. It's so practical. Very, very, very we practical. all do that, Father. Yeah, we I all know. Do but that. Uh, it's a terrible way of making a discernment. But is but, it really? Uh, well, it, you know, if it's the only thing you do, I would agree with you. Yeah. yeah. But oh, it was uh, a thing you uh, did. Well, that it was the beginning anyway. And, and so anyway, so I, I I turned around and I, I I walked back and I thought, okay, I'll talk with Father O'Leary. So I get in the office there and I say, uh, well, you know, I'm thinking of being a, a priest and I think I want to be a Jesuit. And he goes, oh, how long have you been thinking about this? I said, well. About 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm kind of implicitly and incipiently, yeah. oh, you know, maybe a month and a half, but. Oh, a more recent note, very recently. <laughs> so he goes, uh, all right, well, well, what do you know about the vows? I said, well, poverty, chastity, and obedience. There's a fourth vow. But what do you know about poverty? I said, well, that's about being poor for Christ. He goes, anything else? I said, not, not really. He goes, uh, well, what, what do you know about chastity? Well, that's about being chaste for Christ. Anything else? I said, no. No, not really. And he, what do you know about obedience? I said, same answer, being obedient for Christ. He goes, ah, he says, you, you need to do a little reading. He said, what do you know about the Jesuits? I said, well, you know, St. Ignatius of Loyola. I said, anything else? I said, uh, well, you know, it's what you guys do over here. You teach, and I get a sense of your apostolate. He says, ah, you need to do a little study on the Jesuits. So, of course, I walk out of there with five books, you know. Sure. So I, um, I Zoom back. That's and, a good, nice reading. Well, yeah, well I, I did my best to finish it off in about two weeks, you okay. know, but I did. Oh, I was very determined and concerted. Well, one of the books was the Autobiography of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Oh, wow. 
That was the book that did it. So I'm reading this book on the autobiography of St. Ignatius, and I'm thinking, I like this guy. I mean, this guy is decisive, and he gets things done. And God hits him with a cannonball. And God hits him with a cannonball (laughs) and everything else. And, of course, he starts off, right, just like me. You know, this Moor comes by, and he he says, you know, he doesn't really profess the, the perpetual virginity of Mary. And Ignatius says to the Lord, well... You know, ordinarily, I would run this guy. He was a soldier before. Yeah, yeah. Ordinarily, I'd run this guy through. But, Lord, I'm beginning to think that may not be the right solution. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, you know, if my he's traded in his horse for a donkey. Yeah. And he's riding this donkey. And, of course, uh, as he's going toward this fork in the road, he says to God, if my donkey follows the horse of the moor, I'll run him down and and." You know, run them through. And uh, if not, I'll just leave them alone if it goes, if my donkey goes the opposite way. So, of course, uh, th- thank God the, the, the donkey went the opposite way. Yeah. And uh, Ignatius got off to a good start. But again, a, a, f- <laughs> a failed discernment process there. Another failed deter- discernment process. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, I, I just love the guy. I, I just, right then and there, I thought, this is the kind of thing I'd like to do. I, I of course, I was an academic. I, yeah. I knew I would be an academic. I have no I, no doubt in my mind. That well, and that's I, one of the key yeah. things behind the order. Yeah, is the, exactly. The academic We're going to take another break here. Mm-hmm. We've come up to your call toward ordination. We haven't mm-hmm. quite got there yet. Mm-hmm. When we come back, as part of what we want to talk about, is I do want to f- hear how you get through into the rest mm-hmm. of this. But I do want to get into some of the the things that have helped shape you in especially the the relatively recent past. We're mm-hmm. talking with Father Robert Spitzer. I'm Rick Howick, your host. Father Spitzer is um, well known for his ability to talk about the universe and to talk about pastoral care and how they interrelate with each other, especially when he's talking uh, on EWTN. Today, we're talking with Father Spitzer about his own life and He's being very open. I want to thank you for that, Father. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to see how much even more open he's going to be. <laughs> You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Have you heard Deacon Steve lately? From the very beginning of our country, the Declaration of Independence, we talked about a right to life. The first thing that we have in the preamble, you know, the Declaration of Independence, is we have the right to life. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? The most American thing we can do is supporting life. Catch Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon Steve Greco. Sundays at 12 noon, right here on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Father Robert Spitzer. And we have been talking about Father's call toward priesthood and service and ministry. And it's been an interesting discussion because I don't think we've talked. I don't know how often you've talked about your story before on the air, but Not this, very often. This has been a good conversation. I've enjoyed very much <laughs> hearing this because, in so many ways, despite the fact that you obviously have a, a grounded academic leaning intellect, 
the, the story is also very much like every man's. It's a yeah. story of, God, what do you want for me? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the fleece. I want to dry in the morning. <laughs> Here's the rainstorm. I want it to stop if you really want me. Exactly. It's just, it, it's, it, but we all do those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, yeah. So here we are. You're now <laughs> thinking about becoming a Jesuit. You've read your books. You're, you've mm-hmm. made a determination in your head. This seems good for you. Uh, One of the things that you have to decide, now you're at Gonzaga, so you've already got a bias, I'm mm-hmm. sure, going on oh, yeah. there. The Dominicans are, are very good teachers. Sure. But the Jesuits, having been taught by Dominicans and Jesuits at the Graduate Theological Union myself, I'm going to say this, and please forgive me if it is offensive, but I think the Jesuits pride themselves on being intellectually superior <laughs> to just about every oh. other order. They yeah. they know that they're very good at what they do yeah. intellectually, and mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. they very much like that. Well, is that a reasonably fair observation well, to make, Father? I think, uh, we try for to some be over humble, time. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, we do study hard. And uh, is that uh, one of the reasons why you yeah. wanted to go into this, though? Is, oh yeah, no question. I really did think. Um, that the charism of the Jesuits, uh, particularly after reading St. Ignatius of Loyola, his determination. And I love the idea of the Magus, right? The even more so that uh, we're, we're not just, you know, waiting around getting dispatches saying we're holding our position. Now, tell we're us a little bit for a listening audience who doesn't know much about um, Jesuit mm-hmm. uh, theology. Mm-hmm. What is the Magus? just means, Ignatius used it with a definite article, so like a definite article, and it means the, the more, uh, literally, but he really meant it in the sense of the even more. And what he meant by that is, you know, you push things to the limit, you just go as far as you can go and do what you can do. And so his uh, objective was, you don't stop until it's finished. And there's three questions that you ask yourself. Uh, the first question is, what's the greatest need? Well, um, like, for example, here I am at Gonzaga as a university president, and I'm thinking to myself, well, what's the greatest need? Faith in science, faith in reason, a contemporary apologetics. The Catholics haven't done apologetics in 70 years. We're in desperate need of <laughs> one. So true. Kids are leaving at 41%. You know, yeah. our, our, our practicing Catholic kids are becoming unbelievers, not just non-Catholics, yeah. but unbelievers. I'm thinking, that's a great need. And the second question Ignatius has is, is anybody else doing it? Well, nobody else is doing it. Third, do you have at least some competency to fill in the gap? Well, I had some competency to fill in the gap. Well, Ignatius' advice was, get going. You know, that was the modges. Don't hesitate. Go to the universal need. If there's no one else doing it, if you've got competency, get moving. So I, that's how I would make my... But I loved it when I read it in Ignatius. Yeah. And Ignatius had this idea. i got to get back and... Get this, reconvert Jerusalem, and then after I'm done with that, I got to reconvert Europe from the Protestant Reformation. Not, yes. you know, small things, you know, that he could occupy his attention with. So I thought, well, if this guy can think big, maybe I can think big because it moves me that this is the kind of society this is and the kind of man he was. So this is what was motivating, taking you away from being president and going backwards for a moment. Yeah. This is what was motivating you when you were reading, when you were thinking about which kind of priest you want to be. Yeah. That Magus in the story of St. Ignatius sold you. That's the big deal. I like these kinds of guys. If they're kind of go-getter type guys, no hesitancy, move right out there 
you know, and, and of course, the whole idea of anywhere, any place, anytime, Pope sends you, go. I thought this is great. You know, this is that's, this is what I like. I'd like to do. That's actually the fourth vow. Is that's it? the fourth vow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not every Jesuit takes that right away. I understand. No, uh, you have to wait until your final vows. So, in other words, when you're um, two years after your, uh, you, you begin a stage called novitiate that lasts for two years. After that time, if if approved, you would take your, what's called your simple uh, perpetual vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Then. Uh, you uh, later take a thing called the final vows, and there are several other things that are uh, you renew kind of uh, your vows of perpetual ch- chastity, poverty, and obedience. But on top of that, you would also bring in other uh, vows and promises, uh, one of which is the fourth vow to the Pope. Okay. So let's fast forward a little mm-hmm. bit. You've gotten into being a Jesuit. You've mm-hmm. finished up your master's and master's and master's. And then a Ph.D., and you're mm-hmm. now teaching, mm-hmm. and you're teaching very well. I understand that you've had some awards for your teaching, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Teacher of the Year type awards after mm-hmm. only a couple of years teaching. And then you were selected to be president of Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. How long were you at Gonzaga? Because you were saying that the, the whole criteria you had for Magis was to do mm-hmm. stuff. How long did it take you to, to realize what you were doing and, and getting it done? About 11 years. And so uh, at that time, you know, I was able to. For me, the, the most important thing was to increase the number of uh, masses, retreats, you know, to the, increase the religious uh, practice on the campus, which, uh, oh, with the help of uh, Father Bill Watson, uh, we were able to do significantly much more than a tripling of religious practice on the campus, then um, increase the number of uh, ethics programs and service programs. Uh, which we invested in very heavily. And then, of course, I wanted to increase the the student population at the university, and I was able to get about a 70% increase in student population. That's a significant Huge. uh, Yeah, yeah, it was really great. Let uh, let me ask a question about philosophy for a moment. Mm -hmm. I I have heard it summarized that there are a number of Jesuits on the left end of the theological Mm -hmm. spectrum Mm -hmm. And an, uh, a fewer, but a number of Jesuits on the right end of the spectrum, and nobody in between. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we're how, how one did, of extremes. How, did that af- how does that affect Gonzaga? Mm-hmm. I, I would have to imagine that the theological faculty had to be on both ends of that spectrum. Was that hard to handle? Well, on some days, but Jesuits are really good at getting along with each other. I mean, they really are. I mean... Uh, there's no doubt that I had theological opinions, which were different from some of my brothers who I was living with. But we certainly got along okay together. We were not the kind of people, uh, just because of the yeah. training of the spiritual exercises in St. Ignatius, that would say, well, I disagree with you. you know, theologically, I'm not going to talk to you again. So on a spectrum, so, they're very broad thinkers, mm-hmm. but they are still looking at it. Mm-hmm. But it's about how we we talk this thing through because we're all trying to get yeah. to the same point. That's we're right. Just taking different routes. That's right. And we are, I think, very good dialoguers. Maybe there's one or two people who are uh, more boisterous and interruptive and and less respectful. But by and large, uh, Jesuits are we're men of the exercises first and foremost. And even if we disagree with each other radically, we talk to each other not just decently and charitably, though certainly that. But like brothers, 
And so um, I've I've really not had an experience where I thought, gosh, I just got to get out of here. You know. So or while this, you were president there, and all, when, the, when you're the man at the top, you're usually the target. You, you, <laughs> True you, enough. <laughs> you were able to survive. It, it was it was more normal for a man at the, at the top than not. Is that that's fair? right? And uh, I I certainly um, had my controversial moments. You know, there was a, every leader does. Oh yeah, no, I had to ask Planned Parenthood to please not come to the campus when they had been invited by a student group, and that created a big, you know, hoopla. No question but about it. it. But I mean, uh, it needed to be done, and uh, I wrote my guest editorials into the newspapers and got a resolution of the board of trustees explaining my actions and things of that nature. But no question, it was controversial. And, um, you know, I mean, I can say maybe that, you know, and especially among the faculty members, there were many who very much vehemently disagreed with me, but only have to uh, keep to the mission of the university. And so I did it. And there was a play that was a terribly uh, uh, disgusting play called The Monologues. And uh, I just even saw the first few parts of the first chapter. And I just said, this isn't coming here. And they expected, the organization that was giving this, expected that you would sign on to this play yeah. as if you were approving it. And I just said, Nick, so no way. Yeah. Of course, another big, huge explosion, this and that and the other thing. But, you know, uh, you know, I had a big debate right there in the public, you know, and all the reporters were there to... Uh, you never shied uh, away from it. <laughs> uh, no, in fact, when uh, one of our trustees said... The only problem with Spitzer is he loves to debate so much he'll debate at the drop of a hat and then bring the hat. (laughs) (laughs) So you had your normal problems for someone who's trying to lead a large organization of people who care Mm -hmm. deeply about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. When did your health start becoming an issue? Was it while you were president? Well, you know, the heart thing, like I said, you know, my dad, my grandfather had the heart issues, so I... Uh, got into the genetic line. But today, my issues can be solved with a stent. Yeah. You know, you go in, zzz, put in the stent, zzz, one day later, back in the office. Yeah. No problem. So it's never been a real inconvenience for me. Okay. Um, it's just been get a checkup. And you, you do have to get your checkups because you don't know uh, what you don't know. And sometimes uh, I'm not the person who has symptoms. When did the eye issue begin? Well, that actually began way back when I was in Rome in theology. And uh, one day I'm trying to take my Hebrew exam. I just had gotten back from the uh, Middle East. And Shema Yisrael. Uh, yes, that's right. That's uh, Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at the Hebrew and I can't read, you know, those little vocalization points yeah. underneath the letters. I could before I went to Israel. Now I get back from Israel. I can't read the points. So I thought, my gosh, I must need bifocal. Yeah. So I went to the eye doctor in Italy, you know, a guy named Marky, very nice guy. And he goes, hmm, questo non è un problema della bifocale, è un problema della retina. And I said, a retina? Yeah. And he's not about focus, uh, but about retina. It's about the and retina. My Italian's not very good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's not about bifocals. It's about bifocals. It's about the retina. And I said, uh-oh. You know, so I... Uh, I thought, well, what did he wants to put me in an Italian hospital? I said, mm-hmm. I'm going back to the U.S. So I flew back here to the U.S. and they did a series of tests and they determined 
well, you've got retinitis pigmentosa. I said, what does this mean? And he says, well, it means that uh, you're probably going to go blind around the age of 65. I said, you're kidding me. I said, uh, how bad is it going to get before that? He says, it's indeterminate. It just depends on the case. He says, you're starting late. He says, that's a good thing. But he says, you're going to lose your driver's license. I can tell you that right now. I thought, I'm going to lose my driver's license. You know, and of course, you know, these things are, the blows are hitting me right and left, you know. So I'm thinking, uh, wow, so I'm going to lose my driver's license. I may even have trouble writing my books. I may even, you know, so I'm, I'm really getting, you know, sweating bullets here. So I have to, I'm back in Portland. Um, you know, that's where the diagnosis is. That's my home province. Yeah. So I was staying at the provincial house, and I run into my provincial Walking down the hall, Tom Royce, Father Tom Royce. He goes, hey, well, Bob Spitzer, what are you doing here? I said, well, Tom, I, I, I got some retinal issues apparently. And so I said, uh, I might have to get some treatment here. And he goes, well, you want to talk to me about it? I said, yeah. So I, I came down to his office and I said, look, Tom. I said, I'm six months away from ordination here. But I got to really be truthful and I got to disclose what I've heard. I'm probably going to go blind when I'm 65 years old. Basically, I'm going to start losing vision gradually until I'm 65. I'm basically, I'm damaged goods. So if you need to end the ordination trail right now, I understand. Father, I'm going to stop you right at this damaged goods statement because I want to hear the whole thing going forward. We're talking with Father Robert Spitzer, we're at a point where he's talking about what it was like to deal with this eye diagnosis. When we come back, we're going to talk about how that affects his ministry. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Father Robert Spitzer. And before I go any further, and before I forget, I want to thank you profusely, Father, for not only coming in and taking the time to come in, but for being so open about so many very sensitive things that I know you're not asked very often. You're asked about theology and mm-hmm. physics and and the physics of theology, the theology of physics. <laughs> it's not that often that you're asked, I think, anyway, I would assume. No, no, not really, not at all. How, how has your life impacted, how, how have the struggles of life impacted your call? <laughs> and we were just getting to the point of this, before we had to take a break, where you were talking to your provincial just before your ordination, that you'd found out that you, as you put it, your damaged goods, mm-hmm. And I, I, I can argue with you up one side and down the other about that. I don't think I have to. I think you, you know oh, where no. I'm going with that. You just told your provincial, I don't know if I can go forward. And what do you want to do with me? Yeah. What was the answer? Well. You're, you're wearing black, so I assume yeah. I know the answer. <laughs> well, my provincial is looking at me as I'm talking about the damaged goods scenario. And, 
and you can uh, you can dismiss me if you need to. And he looks up at me and he goes, uh, Bob, what spirit are you listening to? Ooh. <laughs> and I just sat there for about two minutes because, of course, Jesuits are supposed to be intelligent about discernment of spirits. <laughs> well, I clearly had been in, I had been, you know, one blow after the next, you know, you're going to lose your driver's license, you're going to have trouble with this, this, this is going to happen to you. You're about to be ordained. Um, what yeah, do you think? Of course yeah, Satan's going to come yeah, after yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so of course, I, I just was in deep into my own uh, kind of uh, despondency about what was going on. <laughs> and so, of course, once he said that, it was like, oh, the light came through, you know. I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. And he says, we have no intention of dismissing you. And he goes, unless you want to be dismissed. I said, oh, no. <laughs> so I said, I'm going through. I said, I got perfectly good vision right now. I really don't think I have to give up my driver's license. He says, if we can't insure you, you're giving up your driver's license. So anyway, long and short. That's of- a pretty good, pretty good yardstick. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anyway, so I that was the first thing. But you know, you do get these challenges in life, and this was a big one. And uh, I used to pride myself on my autonomy. You know, uh, pride myself on my ability to get things done, and. You know, um, I pride myself on my capability of being a good leader. And, and, and a good scholar. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. how long has it been since you've been reasonably effective at being able to operate on your own, writing, reading, that type of thing? Well, I left Gonzaga um, when I was 57 years old in 2009. I'd been there since 1998. And so in about 2009, I was doing okay. You know, I mean, I had to have a driver. Yeah, uh, but aside from a driver, I really didn't need. You anything. still could do your own research. I in could your do own. my research. Okay. I could read a contract. Even uh, there's a thing called a genie. Uh, you just put the contract on a little thing, and you oh, okay. can, it blows it up, and you can read it very quickly. So I, I never had any problems like that. But uh, slowly but surely, after I left Gonzaga, I came down here, sort of the Maja Center. What happened was, uh, you know, I could notice these little decreases uh, going downwards. I had a, a wonderful assistant there in Joan Jacoby, who was always trying to sort of build me up, you know. Well, you used I her in the past tense. She's not exactly oh, past no, tense. Oh, no, she's yeah. no way. Yeah, she's... Uh, she's to this very day. But yeah. she was great to me during those days because she'd say, oh, no, you know, you're okay. <laughs> you know, but I could tell uh, she was blowing up the print more and more and more <laughs> on the things that I had to read. And then uh, I was relying on her to, to do reading for me. More and more and more. How do you do and your research now? She reads everything to me, but I memorize what she's reading. You I, should I, give her credit as she goes along. She can get her own PhD this way. Just oh, reading your I, stuff. she says I got a PhD in Spitzer. <laughs> That's what she says. So, uh, so you uh, can't see her, but she's standing in the doorway uh, now, uh, you know, putting oh, yeah. her hand up with a fist, going, yay. <laughs> oh, no, that's so true. But she, so that's her exact words. I could get a PhD in Spitzer. But anyway, she reads it to me. I kind of memorize it. Then I organize it in my head. And then I dictate it to her. And she types so fast. Wow. Uh, she can edit and type, you know, faster than most people can type. I can speak uh, so, text, but that's about all. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I mean, well. I could say, stop, uh, change that, do this, uh, and we're still going at 50 wow. words a minute. You know, she's, she's just uh, a lightning speed. So all so, of your late books have all been done by the, the last mm-hmm. few books. Have been done with her helping you. Seven of them, I think. Uh, Her helping you do all the research, Uh and then she's also typing all your material for you. 
and you're remembering everything that's being said, where the files are, what the files are, yeah. in order for you to do these books and have the, the table of contents thought out, because yeah. I've been just enough writing to know, you have to know what your structure is by heart before oh, you yeah. really get started. Oh, no, there's You've no. had all the details memorized, haven't you? Yeah, because like I said, I used to be a very visual person, and when I lost my vision and I transferred to the auditory lobes, the weirdest thing happened. As she is reading to me, I am visualizing, visualizing the lines, structures. Um, and I'm literally visualizing the lines going across the page. I'm seeing wow. it in the print in my head. Wow. And so uh, it's great because it's almost like I can then just say, oh, that's in chapter one. Or if you go you know, somewhere around this page, you'll see it here and go to section four, paragraph one, you know, and you'll see it over here. And she goes, wow, it's the Dewey Decimal System. You know what I mean? She, she can't believe it, you know, but uh, but it's because I visualize what I'm hearing let, let that me, I can do it. Let me ask you a, mm-hmm. a slightly different question. You've lost the vision yeah. and you've lost your ability to do some of the things that you used yeah, to, today, to do. Yeah, today, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has that affected you? And I'm, I'm thinking now from a just a purely human perspective, does it get you down? Do you no, miss? It doesn't get me down. And I'll tell you. Because I've read I, enough of your stuff to know you've got a whole theology of suffering. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's what, all intellectual sometimes. Well, it's How has this been applied to you? Because basically I know three things. The first thing I'm absolutely sure of is God will fill in the gaps. He'll take care of what I cannot do for myself. And he always has. You do your best. And, uh, and I've learned. Well, that's right. Uh, I've learned over the course of time. He never disappoints. So, I mean, in fact, Joan uh, coming into my life is clear a manifestation of God. God, yeah, God I mean, knows oh, what yeah. he's doing. I mean, uh, you can't believe how coincidental that was, but that's another story. Yeah. But then, you know, it's way beyond that, getting the rides, getting the financing to start the Monster Center, all these things. I mean, I've never, everything I've needed, it's come into place. I feel like Mother Teresa sometimes where she just says, well, Lord, I'm going to need this uh, amount of money. And then, boom, you know, she gets 15 checks to total up what she needs. And I, I think to myself, well, that's the story of my life. Are you saying it's never gotten you down, Father? Oh, no. When I first, this disease first happened, I was almost despondent. Okay. I, I mean, I was truly uh, thinking, what can I do? And the damaged good speech, I believed it totally. And even after my provincial corrected me, I still sure. believed half of it. Okay. I just believed this is going to be a real turgid road, you know. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to give it a shot here. I'm not going to give up. And that's a good thing, uh, one of my good characteristics. I am determined, and I will try to make things happen. Alternatively, though, you really have to trust in God. And then God starts doing this fantastic work on your heart. Have you if you think your... I'm arrogant now, you should have seen me previously. <laughs> well, I don't I think mean... you're arrogant now either. But <laughs> you, Have you had a dark night type experience oh, yes. with this? Oh, yeah. The dark night, though, is much more along the lines of, Lord, where are you leading me and what do you need uh... me to do uh, to become more authentic in my faith and more authentic in turning to you? more authentic in my moral conversion. This reminds me of Mary's answer. Her answer was mm-hmm. was a little different than oh, Zechariah's. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Lord, how are you going to do this? <laughs> it wasn't, how are you going to do this? It's, how are you going to work this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that kind of where you were going with well, this? I, I an act of faith so. and yeah. yet 
fear and trembling as to how he might? Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I, I stopped the fear and trembling after two years. Okay. Uh, and I began to have a real trust that replaced it. Wow. Number two, I could see already how it had a really good effect in the Beatitudes. It was making me more humble-hearted, more gentle-hearted. Definitely, I could relate to people on a level of compassion, right, or mercy wow. that I could never do before. I mean, I it's one thing, you know, when you feel self-sufficient and you're trying to relate to people, it's almost like you're looking down on them as you're being compassionate. Now, I'm one of the people You've been who there, is done that. time in need. Yeah. And, I, you know, I can't even go to the restroom in an airport, you know, when I'm traveling by myself. If the guy drops me off, like in Dallas, you know, the, the, you just get on the cart, you t- drop you off at the gate, goodbye, you know. So, I mean, how am I going to get, you know, the restroom could be, you know, 100 yards down the row, you know. You have to wow. say to somebody, give me an elbow for a few feet just so I can get there. But once I've got it, I know where it is. I can turn around and get back. Uh, more or less, I just kind of, you people stay out of the way of my, you know, walking to. But you're, it's, it's, I, I'm. I notice you don't carry a white cane. Yeah. You just rely on having someone there to help you yep, I do. get along. Trust in the Lord. And and that's what amazes me when I see you sitting there on the set and I'm watching your program mm-hmm. is that you don't look like you're blind. You don't look like you are having any problems whatsoever. <laughs> it's been good today to yeah. hear you talk about oh, it because yeah. I think even our listening audience is going to be, when they're looking at you on your program, mm-hmm. they're going to know that the person they're looking at really has a lot of not just the intellectual depth and heft, but mm-hmm. this encounter with God on that suffering level mm-hmm. that really you kind of have to go through in order to understand. Mm-hmm. And you certainly have. Father, I want to thank you so very, very much for being open with us today about your My walk. honor, Rick. It has been great. I'm glad we were able to have this conversation. Next time I'm going to talk about the shot of Turin, because that, of oh. course, was my... my oh. When I was in, in 10th grade, I took... In public high school, I went all the way to the state of California's championships with a speech on the shot of Turin. Oh. And I got eighth place in the state of California. Hey, nice going. Yeah, you know, I had a good time with it. <laughs> and then, of course, we had the carbon-14 dating and mm-hmm. burst my bubble. When you come back sometime, I want to go there. I but definitely to, want to do that. But today we've had the great privilege and pleasure of talking about how you've encountered Christ and the sufferings of your life. Thank you for that. Father, if you would be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer and a blessing for all of our listening audience, I think that would be great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your blessings to us. Lord, help us now with your Holy Spirit to bring into actuality all those things that we resolve to do, the ideals we aspire to. Uh, to uh, live up to. We ask you to bless uh, this good ministry and bless all those we touch through it. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been a very open and very forthcoming Father Spitzer, who, of course, is very well known for all of you who watch EWTN's Spitzer's Universe. I'm Rick Howick, your host. If you would like to share this with someone else, you can direct them to Orange County Catholic Radio through OCCatholic.com. At OCCatholic.com, you can go to the radio tab, and you'll find Orange County Catholic Radio there. This will be listed as a podcast not too long after it's been broadcast, and you can share it with someone else. 
On behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week.